Thank you, Miss Lori. Thanks, Jesse. Thank you, Greg. I meant Kenzie, sorry. She looked at me. Woo! My goodness. So that was when you get them wrong, right? Amen. Well, I'm glad you're here today. Uh, continuing on, uh, trying to find out what it's like when life is the pits. Amen. And man, I tell you what, this story about Joseph has taught us so many things. Uh, we've learned how uh, to deal with uh, dysfunctional families. We've learned how to deal with temptation. We've learned how to deal with disaster and disappointment and just all manner of things. And today we're going to be learning about how to deal with broken trust. A young lady was sunbathing out on the beach when a little boy walked up, walked up in, her, in his swimming trunks and carrying a towel and he asked the girl, do you believe in God? A little surprised, she said, well, yes, I do. And then he asked her, he said, well, do you go to church every Sunday? She nodded and said, yes, I do. And then she, he asked, well, do you read your Bible and do you pray every day? The girl thought about it for a second. She nodded and said, yes, I do. And the little boy said, thank you. Uh, will you hold my money while I go swimming? <laughs> Trust. Amen? Trust. Trust is a very valuable commodity. However, trust is very hard to obtain and very easy to lose. Trust, I believe, is one of the most significant uh, issues in human relationships today. I mean, if you can't trust what use is there in having a relationship. But have you ever experienced the heartbreaking pain of broken trust? I think we all have. Maybe it was something you did that broke someone's trust. Maybe it was something you said that broke someone's trust. Or maybe on the other hand, it was somebody else who shattered your trust in them. Robert Schuler, a pastor, tells the story of when his son Bob broke his trust by lying to his wife and he. He says, my son Bob was still young, and he was dating Linda, his wife-to-be, and he was only, she was only allowed, to, he was only allowed to be with her on certain days, at certain times. One night, Robert said, that he, Bob wanted to see her, and told his parents that he was over at a friend's house. When Robert and his wife found out the truth. It got real messy real quick. Why? Because Bob had violated Robert's trust. In the argument that followed, Robert says he took a porcelain English teacup and smashed it on the floor and it went into a thousand pieces. And he told Bob that restoring his trust in him was like trying to glue that cup back together again. Bob 
looked at his parents and said, well, I don't know if I can do that. And Robert and his wife said, well, now you know how hard it is to rebuild trust. The outcome was that Bob literally spent weeks gluing every little fragment of that porcelain teacup back together again until it was finished. In that, he learned a very valuable lesson. The lesson about broken trust. Past sins had shattered Joseph's trust in his brothers. And in order to trust them again, Joseph needed to know and believe two things. He needed to know and believe that the boys were telling him the truth now. And he needed to know and believe that they were truly sorry for what they'd done, both before God and before men. So as we continue the story today, remember that one of the brothers, Simeon, is still in prison in Egypt. And Jacob's other sons have run out of food, and they're once again returning to Egypt with their youngest brother, Benjamin. They hope to prove to the Egyptian governor, which is Joseph, that they are not honest men, that they're not spies. But they also hope to free Simeon from prison, as well as get some food for their family. In addition to bringing back the money that they found in the sacks that they were given previously, Jacob, their father, tells them that they need to double the money and also bring some additional gifts. So finally, they arrive in Egypt, and I'm sure that they had tons of questions. Questions like this. Will this Egyptian governor believe us about this money we found in the sacks? Will he release Simeon like he promised? Will he throw us all in jail? Will he let us return in peace with this food for our family. We pick up our story in Genesis chapter 43 and verse 15. So the men took that present and Benjamin, and they took double the money in their hand and arose and went down to Egypt, and they stood before Joseph. When Joseph saw Benjamin with them, he said to the steward of his house, Take these men to my home. And slaughter an animal and make ready for these men, for they will dine with me at noon. Then the man did as Joseph ordered, and the man brought the men into Joseph's house. Just think, to their great surprise, when they arrive in Egypt, where are they taken? Straight to the governor's house. Straight to Joseph's private mansion. They're taken there. And I'm sure that they were thinking, oh no. We're going to be thrown into prison. But then in verse 18, we hear the reaction. Now the men were afraid because they were brought into Joseph's house. And they said, it is because of the money which was returned in our sacks the first time that we are brought in. So that he may make a case against us. So that he may seize us and make us as slaves as well as our donkeys. You know, a guilty conscience really plays a lot of tricks on our minds. Amen? When you're guilty, boy, all kinds of things will come up. 
But the brothers wasted no time. They immediately take the steward aside and they begin to explain how they found the money in their sacks in verse 20. And they said, oh, sir, we indeed came down the first time to buy food. But it happened when we came to the encampment that we opened our sacks and there each man's money was in the mouth of his sack. Our money in full weight so that we have brought it back in our hands. And we have brought down other money that in our hands to buy food. We do not know who put this money in our sacks. And then the steward responded by saying, peace be with you. Do not be afraid. Your God and the God of your father has given you treasure in your sacks. I have your money. Then he brought Simeon out of prison to them. So then the man brought the men to Joseph's house, gave them water, and they washed their feet, and he gave their donkeys feed, and they made a present ready for Joseph's coming at noon, for they had heard that they would eat bread then. I love the response. Did you hear it? Of Joseph's steward. There he was literally saying, Shalom. He said, Peace be with you. Do not be afraid. It's amazing to me that this steward knew enough of their language to be able to use some of it to them by saying, Peace be with you. Don't be afraid. And then this steward, this Egyptian man, this idol worshiper began to testify to these men about their own God. It's amazing to me that he said, Elohim, the one and only true God, your own God, he is the one who did this for you. You see, guilt had kept these brothers from seeing God's hand of grace active in their own lives. It's amazing to me how humbling it must have been to be told by this pagan idol worshiper how the one true God was working in their lives. But yet that was what was happening. And then in verse 26 of chapter 43, when Joseph came home, they brought him the present which was in their hand to the house, and they bowed down before him to the earth. Then he asked them about their well-being and said, Is your father well, that old man of whom you spoke? Is he still alive? And they answered, Your servant, our father, is in good health. He is still alive. And they bowed their heads down and prostrated themselves. And then he lifted up his eyes, and he saw his brother Benjamin, his mother's son. Now, I told you in the very first message that Joseph lived with all kind of stepbrothers and stepsisters and stepmamas, but Benjamin was his mother's son. Benjamin was his real brother. And it is said, and he said then, is this your younger brother of whom you spoke to me? And Joseph said to Benjamin, God be gracious to you, my son. Now, now his heart began to yearn for his brother. And so Joseph made haste and sought somewhere to weep. And then he said into his, went into his chamber, and there he wept. And he washed his face, and he came out, and he restrained himself and said, Serve the bread. And so they set him in a place by himself, then them by themselves, and the Egyptians who were with him by themselves, 
because Egyptians could not eat food with Hebrews, for that was an abomination to the Egyptians. And they sat down before him, get this, the firstborn, according to his birthright, all the way to the youngest, according to his youth. And the men looked in astonishment to one another. After going through a few pleasantries, Joseph actually breaks down at the very sight of his real brother, Benjamin. And as bad as he wants, right then and there, to tell him who he was, he didn't. Joseph had to continue that charade to truly see if all the other brothers had changed their colors. Had their brothers truly changed? So Joseph has this banquet prepared. The brothers were seated, and as the brothers began looking around the table, one thing became clear. They were seated oldest to youngest. And I imagine them thinking to themselves, this just can't be a coincidence. In fact, Henry Morris in his commentary says that there are no less than 39,917,000 possible orders that you can sit 11 individuals and around a table like that. That's a lot of possibilities. This just was not coincidence. This is the first time in 20 years that all 12 brothers have been in the same place at the same time, but get this, only one of them knows it. Only one of them knows it. But rather than opening up, Joseph must now try to discover if these are truly changed men. So in a series of tests, Joseph seeks to determine if these men have truly changed. The first test that Joseph gave the brothers was a test of jealousy. Look there in chapter 43, verse 34. Then he took servings to them. Joseph did. He took servings to them from before him. But Benjamin's serving was five times as much as any of theirs. And so they drank and were married with him. It was Benjamin who was now the favored son of their father Jacob. But Joseph needed to know, were these brothers still motivated by jealousy? You may remember it was their jealousy of Joseph that caused them to throw Joseph in a pit to begin with. It was their jealousy of Joseph that made Joseph go into, a, into slavery. So I wonder, how would they react? to Benjamin, Joseph's real brother. How would they react to him being singled out and given so much favor? But we see that no matter how much they're singled out, that although the brothers do notice that Benjamin is given five times more food, there's no sign of jealousy amongst the brothers. After all, I mean, if you have more than you can possibly eat, what difference does it make if Benjamin has more, right? Right? Well, that's kind of food for thought, amen? No pun intended. That's food for thought for American Christians. American Christians who, who are uh, looking at their neighbor's house, who are looking at their neighbor's car, 
What difference does it make what kind of house or what kind of car your neighbor has as long as you have everything you need? What difference does it make? But then the, the, the brothers of Joseph uh, are ready to head home, ready to go back to Canaan once more. And Joseph then instructs his steward to give them as much food as they can handle, as much food as they could carry, and then also return their money. And so this, but this time there's one added thing. This time he commanded that his own personal silver cup be put in Benjamin's sack. Let's read about it in verse 40, chapter 44. And then Joseph commanded the steward of his house, saying, Fill the men's sack with food, as much as they can carry, and put each man's money in the mouth of his sack. Also, put my cup, the silver cup, in the mouth of the sack of the youngest, and his grain money. And so the steward did, according to the word that Joseph had spoken, and as soon as morning dawned, the men were sent away. They and their donkeys. And they went out of the city and were not yet far off when Joseph said to his steward, Get up, follow the men, and when you overtake them, say this, Why have you repaid good with evil? Why have you repaid evil for good? That's interesting that he would say that. Because Joseph was repaid evil for good decades earlier when he was thrown into a pit. Why have you repaid evil for good? After they left, we notice that Joseph sent his steward, accuses them of stealing. He act, Joseph actually set them up. He set them up. And Joseph's brother were so taken back at the accusation, they offered the life of the one who stole the cup. Let's read about that in verse 7. And they said to him, Why does my Lord say these words? Far be it from us that your servants would do such a thing. Look, we brought, we brought back to you from the land of Canaan the money which we found in the mouth of our sack. How then could we steal silver and gold from your Lord's house? With whomever of your servants it is found, let him die. And we also will be my Lord's slaves. Wow. They're so confident of their innocence. They're so confident of their honesty that they quickly open up their sacks and say, here, take a look for yourself. Take a look. Take a look and see for yourself. This can't possibly be true. And when the cup was found in Benjamin's sack, they were sick at heart. And they began to tear their clothes, the Bible says, in verse 10. And he said, the steward said, Now also let it be according to your word, he with whom it is found shall be my slave, and you shall be blameless. Then each man speedily let down his sack to the ground, and each one opened his sack. And so he searched, and he began with the oldest, and he left off with the youngest. And the cup was found in Benjamin's sack. And they tore their clothes, and each one of them loaded his donkey, and instead of going back home, they returned to the city. So Judah and his brothers caused, came to Joseph's house, and he was still there, and they fell to the ground before him. Not only did they pass the test of jealousy, but they were also getting, given a test of self 
know, the supreme test of character was when Joseph's cup was found in Benjamin's sack. I mean, they found the cup. The evidence was right there. They found the evidence in the sack. He was guilty as far as the law was concerned. Now, years before, they had all blindly sold Joseph into slavery, but now every one of those brothers wished, wished that cup was in their sack instead of Benjamin's sack. They would not abandon it. They would not turn their back on this brother. When Benjamin was taken back to Egypt, guess who went back with him? Every one of those brothers. They were all ready to offer themselves as Joseph's slaves. I wonder how Joseph's heart must have rejoiced as he looked up and he saw every one of his brothers come back with Benjamin. Maybe these were changed men after all. Maybe these men had finally changed. And when they're ushered into Joseph's house, look who it was who stepped forward. It was Judah, his brother. Judah who stepped forward and in verse 16 said this, what shall we say, my Lord? What shall we speak? Or how shall we clear ourselves? God has found out the iniquity of your servants. Here we are, my Lord's slaves. Both we and he also with whom the cup was found. That's interesting. Judah didn't say, it was he who took it. He said, no, it was we who are guilty. It's we who are guilty. Isn't it interesting what a strange combination of words that is? Judah is saying that although they're innocent of the crime they're accused of, they're guilty of a much worse crime. A much worse crime that God is now punishing them for. So what does Joseph do? He gives them one more chance. One more chance to save their own neck. And there in verse 17, he said, Far be it from me that I should do so. The man in whose hand the cup was found, he shall be my slave. And as for you, go up in peace to your father. But Judah steps up again. And in verses 18 through 29, he begins to go into detail, explaining how the loss of Benjamin would, would really affect their aging father. But he says in verse 30, Now therefore, when I come to your servant, my father, and the lad is not with us, since his life, my father's life, is bound up in the lad's life, it will happen that when he sees your lad is not with us, his, our lad is not with us, that he will so your servant will bring down the gray hair of your servant, our father, with sorrow to the grave. Wow. So Judah begins to plead. He begins to plead with Joseph to allow Benjamin to return home with his brothers. And what will he do? Judah himself will take Benjamin's place. Judah himself will personally be Joseph's slave. And he says there in verse 32, For your servant, for I, your servant, has become surety for the lad to my father. And I said, if I do not bring him back to you, then I shall bear the blame.
before my father forever. Now therefore, let me, let me, your servant, remain instead of the lad as your slave to my Lord. And let the lad go up with his brother. Let Benjamin go home. Now what you may not remember about Judah was this. Judah was the man that convinced his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery. Here, Judah, the man who convinced his brothers to sell Joseph into slavery decades before, is now offering himself as a slave. There's no doubt in my mind that Judah is truly repentant, truly a changed man. For the first time, we see the evidence that Judah has changed. Before, we've seen where the men recognize their sin. We have, uh, I believe, I believe they felt true regret. They recognized their sin and they felt true regret. And let me tell you something, that's a good beginning in rebuilding trust. But you know what? Regret alone can never rebuild trust. Regret alone can never rebuild trust. Rebuilding trust takes a lot of hard work. Rebuilding trust sometimes takes a long time. For trust to be rebuilt, there has to be repentance. There has to be change. And that change needs to be demonstrated. That change needs to be seen to begin that process of rebuilding trust. Now I want to finish this morning just by giving you three principles. Three principles about trust. One, friend, trust is precious. Treasure it. Trust is precious. We must treasure, we must treasure it. It takes years to develop trust. Yet it can be destroyed by a single self-centered act. I once heard that trust is a lot like an eraser. It gets smaller and smaller and smaller after every mistake. Amen? That's pretty true. Trust is precious. We must treasure it. But two, when we break the trust of others, we must seek to restore it. You see, trust can only be restored. That process can only be begun by complete honesty, and I think we see that with Joseph's brothers, complete honesty and absolute repentance, a willingness to change. Trust is precious. We've got to treasure it. And when we, when we break the trust of others, we must seek to restore it. And number three, trust is never simply granted. We must earn it. Trust is earned. Often those that are trying to rebuild trust, here's what they'll say. You just need to trust me. You ever heard that? You just need to trust me. But that's not the truth. The truth is this. You need to prove that you can be trusted. know God has proven that he's trustworthy. He's 
proven that he's trustworthy in every area of your life. He's proven that he can be trusted. I'm fond of reminding myself that God has never let me down. Not even once. I'm fond of reminding myself that not one time has God turned his back on me. Not one time has God broken my trust in him. But how many times have I broken his trust in him? That trust must be treasured, restored, and owned. Have you ever trusted God's way to heaven? Let me tell you something. God earned it. God earned your trust on the cross. Do you trust that Jesus Christ is the Son of God? Do you trust in what he earned by shedding his blood on Calvary's cross? Do you trust that, his, that your forgiveness, that your forgiveness of your sins was established by his death on the cross? Do you trust that he was raised from the grave three days after his death? Do you trust what the Bible says? The Word of God says that if you do trust that, that heaven is going to be yours. Do you trust God? Do you trust Him today? Do you trust Him today? If you do, I want you to know that heaven is going to be yours. It's amazing how important trust is in the economy of God. All he wants us to do is trust him. Let's pray. Father God, with one unified voice this morning, we as a church want to declare that we trust you. You've never let us down. But Father, I shiver to think how many times I've let you.
because your word says that by his blood my sins have been forgiven, that by his death on the cross I'm washed clean, and by being raised from the grave three days later, heaven is my eternal home if I trust in that gift, if I trust and believe in him. Father, today can be their day. 